welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 53. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. It's another Sunday morning, which must mean I'm recording a podcast. Weather's decent here. It's been chilly, but not super cold last couple of days. A little bit of ice predicted for later today, but I haven't had a whole lot of snow where I live. Uh, I know some parts of the country where you're maybe listening uh, right now have had some snow, so I feel for you. Uh, it's a little unusual for us not to have a lot of snow, but uh, that's how life works, I guess. And if you, it is snowy where you live, well, that's just an even better excuse to uh, sit and listen to some podcasts. Not a lot of news this week. Just a couple things I was going to mention. been watching Sherlock on PBS. Uh, the British show. Some of you may be fans as well. I don't know that I've talked much about Sherlock on the podcast. I'm a lifelong Sherlock Holmes fan. I'm not a rabid fan. I don't have all the original Earth and Conan Doyle stories memorized or anything, but I've always enjoyed reading and occasionally going back and rereading uh, the classic stories. I, As a kid, I had a brief flirtation with the classic, you know, black and white Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes movies. I liked, I wasn't crazy about it, but I liked the Guy Ritchie, Robert Downey Jr., Sherlock Holmes movies. And then when, when the series Sherlock came about on BBC, uh, I got into it largely because it was created by Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss, who are, of course, our big creators and writers, and in Moffat's case, the showrunner for Doctor Who, which I, of course, have mentioned a lot on this podcast. So that's how I got into it. Sherlock, for those of you who don't know, the series now is a modern retelling of of the Sherlock Holmes of adventures of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson as modern characters not Victorian London characters. I was a little skeptical before the series started. They're now on their fourth series the third episode of which the series, each series is only three episodes long. The fourth one airs tonight actually, so I haven't seen the finale yet but I was skeptical you know, way back when the first series started but then I immediately was hooked from the first episode. Uh, the first season was excellent. The second season was really solid. I liked the third season. It got, I thought it was starting to veer a little bit more towards the silly. Uh, just a bit, but you know, it was still enjoyable. Last year's New Year's Eve special was very interesting. Uh, this year's special was also good. And I really liked the first two episodes this year. Uh, very odd. Um, they're taking some chances, taking some risks with the characters in very interesting ways. Um, although, for those of you who have seen it, if you could explain to me what the title of the first episode of the season, The Six Thatchers, actually meant. I get that there are some Thatcher statues involved and the one, the victim's dad was a buddy of Margaret Thatcher or something. And I get that some Thatcher statues were crashed, but I think we only saw two in the episode, and so I'm confused where they get six, and what relevance, if any, that had to do with the actual story of the episode. So, any of you Sherlock fans who can explain that to me, I would appreciate it. In other news, of course, as this episode is being recorded, it is now five days out from the U.S. presidential inauguration. Everyone is waiting with bated breath to hear Donald Trump's first real speech as president, which he'll give on Inauguration Day. I'm a little concerned, not to get political here, but uh, the vice president-elect, Mike Pence, was on one of the news shows this morning, and he was asked what 
Donald Trump will say for his vision for America in his speech, and Pence had a very obvious deer-in-the-headlights look, a very obvious pause before saying, well, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. A little nervous about that. I don't want to get political here, but yeah. Anyway, we'll just move on. No real other news this week. No Atari movie updates. You may have noticed. No Atari movie updates for a while. No real news coming out there that I have seen. So we'll have to wait and see. Movies take a long time to develop. That sort of wraps up the uh, news desk for this week. So let's move on to this week's episode. Hello. Activision asked me to demonstrate their exciting new video game, Skiing. Pop the cartridge into your Atari video computer system and fly through the hill crosses over moguls. A small bubble. Many slopes to challenge you. Try the slalom race. Shush to take pace. And voila, it's skiing by Activision. So real you must have it. Snow kidding. I think I hurt myself. That's right, we're playing Skiing by Activision. We love Activision on the podcast. Uh, this is a 1980 game, but while the game is from 1980, the sport of skiing, of course, is much, much older. Skiing is a mode of transport, a recreational activity, and a competitive winter sport, which the participant uses skis to glide on snow, for those of you who didn't know that. Many types of competitive skiing events are recognized by the International Olympic Committee and the International Ski Federation. I'm going to just tell you my immediate reaction to that part here. The International Ski Federation sounds to me totally like a made-up thing that somebody developed as a way to figure out how to make money. Uh, I'm not a skier, not a member of the Federation. Uh, I'm just saying that's kind of what it sounds like to me. Skiing has been around for almost five millennia. Modern skiing has evolved from beginnings in Scandinavia, but may have been practiced as early as 600 BC in what is now China. The word ski is one of a handful of words Norway has exported to the international community. It comes from the old Norse word skio. I think that's how you said it, which means split piece of wood or firewood. Asymmetrical skis were used at least in northern Finland and Sweden until the late 19th century. On one leg, skier wore a long, straight, non-arching arching ski for sliding, and on the other, a shorter ski for kicking. The bottom of the short ski was either plain or covered with animal skin to aid the use, while the, uh, the long ski supporting the weight of the skier was treated with animal fat in similar manner to modern ski waxing. Early skiers used one long pole or spear. The first depiction of a skier with two ski poles dates to 1741. Until the mid-19th century, skiing was primarily used for transport, and since then has become a recreation and sport. Military ski races were held in Norway during the 18th century, and ski warfare was studied in the late 18th century. I wonder if that's where that sort of dopey Olympic sport, um, was it the biathlon, comes from, right? Where you ski, 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 stop, shoot something, ski, 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 stop, and shoot something. Which seems like a dumb, pointless thing. I don't think you want to be on skis holding a gun. That just seems like a bad idea to me. But I wonder if that evolved from these uh, sort of military ski races. Once again, Norwegians screwing us over. Just kidding, I love Norway. Especially all you Norwegian listeners. Please tell your friends. Maybe not about this part of the podcast, though. Originally and primarily a winter sport, skiing can also be practiced indoors without snow or outdoors on grass on dry ski slopes with ski simulators or with roller skis. I don't know what roller skis are. I could look that up, but I'm lazy and it sounds dumb. Uh, skiing is a winter sport you play on the snow. I have spoken. I'm not a skier. Uh, honestly, I've never been on skis in my life. I think my parents and my brothers, who are a fair bit older than me, skied a bit before I was born. 
but then evidently by the time I came around, uh, my, the rest of my family was old and tired and didn't want to ski anymore. So I've never really, you know, we, it was never really a family activity for us. You know, I live in the Midwest, but I never really had friends who skied in high school. I had friends and I who would occasionally talk about, yeah, you know, we should you know, go skiing sometime. And, and yeah, it just never happened. So I have a feeling that in my 40s, maybe not the best time to take up downhill skiing. It seems like um, a disaster waiting to happen. Luckily, though, playing a skiing Atari game doesn't require any ski skill at all. What does it require? Well, I'm glad you asked. Looking at the manual for Activision skiing, we're told... Now you can ski all year long without worrying about tight boots, cold hands, long lift lines, or whether it snows. Although, as the article I read just told you, you don't need snow anyway. Skiing by Activision challenges you with a wide variety of slalom and downhill runs, designed for everyone from amateur to pro. Even if you've never been on a pair of skis, you can be a champion skier with Skiing by Activision. Read these instructions to find out how to make a record-breaking run without getting wrapped around a tree or crashing into a gate. The setup tells us to put both difficulty switches in B to begin. You're going to use the left joystick controller. Hold it with the button at the upper left. Hold it with the button at the upper left. Hold it with the button at the upper left. Yeah, I don't like that. Someday I'm going to come up with an actual jingle for that, but it's not going to be that one. Don't worry. It looks like there are basically 10 different games. The slalom runs are games 1 through 5. Uh, those are the ones with the gates that you have to go through. And those games, those five games, increase in difficulty. Novice, Intermediate, Expert, Olympic, and New Expert Run. Oh, you get a New Expert Run every time you select Game 5. So I guess the, maybe the, the route changes each time, which is kind of cool. The downhill runs are games 6 through 10. Uh, and again, uh, the, the higher game number, the more, the, the longer the, the run. Novice, Intermediate, Expert, Olympic and a new 900-meter Olympic hill every time you select game 10. It looks like, from the little bit that I played around with it, the downhill runs, the moguls, sort of those icy patches, become more of an issue. They're on the screen in the slalom runs, at least the little bit that I played, but they don't seem to harm you. Note, the hills and courses for games 1 through 4 and 6 through 9 are permanently set. Each tree, gate, and mogul is in the same place every time you ski. Whenever you select games 5 or 10, you get a new course each time. The course will remain the same for as many runs as you want to take, until you select another game or turn the power off. When you return to game 5 or 10 again, you'll face a new run and new challenge. Your joystick controls the position of your skis, push it to the left, and your ski tips will move to the left, push it to the right, and your ski tips will move to the right. The longer you hold the joystick in either direction, the farther your ski will go, until they reach horizontal. You can't ski uphill. Your skier will go in the direction your skis are pointed and will reach maximum downhill speed when the skis are pointed directly downhill. Special features of slalom racing. The object is to run through all the gates between the poles in the fastest time. Elapsed time on timer. You are penalized 5 seconds for each gate you miss. At the end of each run, the number of gates you missed and your total time, including penalties if any, are shown on the screen. If you hit a gate or tree that if you hit a gate or tree, do not lose heart. Your skier will jump back up and keep going, but you do lose time, so be careful. The red button on your joystick is not used in slalom racing, but can be used instead of the game reset switch to reset your skier at the top of the course. Don't push it unless you want to start over. When I was messing around with the game, getting ready to uh, record today, I kept doing that by accident, and it took me a while to realize what I was doing. So yeah, it's kind of frustrating. To make the run tougher, push your right difficulty switch up to A. Now trees will appear on the slalom course in front of the gates, not just off to the side. So you really have to be quick to dodge them and still make all the gates. Special features of downhill racing. The object is to reach the bottom of the hill in the fastest time. Elapsed time at the end of the run determines your scoring. 
During the run, the number of meters remaining is shown above the elapsed time. There are no penalties, but if you hit a tree or fall on a mogul, you'll lose time. The red button and joystick zone used when your right difficulty switch is up or at A. Then you must push the button to make your skier jump any moguls in your path. They are the gray patches in the snow. The timing of your jumps is critical. If you're off, your skier will hit the mogul and fall on his face. If trying to dodge trees and jump moguls gets a bit too tricky, just push your right difficulty switch back down to B and your skier will jump each mogul automatically. Note, you must push game reset to start at the top of the hill on downhill runs. With the left difficulty switch in the down or B position, the ski run passes by vertically but does not change horizontally, so your skier cannot ski off the course. When he reaches the edge, he stops moving horizontally. With the left difficulty switch in the up or A position, you can direct your skier off the trail and through the woods. Even ski all the way around the mountain if you wish. We suggest you try this option on downhill runs only. Game 6 through 10 is an interesting and creative variation on the normal ski run. Dude, I am totally going to do that now. I think it would be awesome if when you're doing that, if you decide to take a shot at skiing all the way around the mountain, like halfway around, if the abominable snowman from Rudolph the Resnose Reindeer showed up and ate your skier. That would be awesome. Someone should make an Easter egg of that. You homebrew people, get on that. Getting the feel of skiing by Activision. Once you know the basics of skiing, we suggest you get the feel of your control by skiing on the slow slopes first. Start with both difficulty settings on B. While you're learning, make your joystick right and left. Move your joystick right and left gradually to move slowly across and down the hill through the trees and gates. See how your skis respond to your joystick movements and how changing ski positions changes your skier's direction and speed. You will go fastest when your skis are pointed straight downhill and you'll slow down when you are moving at an angle. You can stop your skier mid-hill by moving your skis all the way to the horizontal. When you're ready for more advanced challenges, try the faster runs. You'll get faster times, but watch out. The slope is steeper and the gates, trees, and moguls come flying at you. And when you're really a hotshot, push your right difficulty switch up to A to push your skills to the limit. At this point, the manual gives us a little game creator bio. How to become an expert at skiing by Activision. Tips from Bob Whitehead, designer of skiing. Bob Whitehead, known for his fast action excitement packed video games, also designed boxing by Activision. He says, the key to success in skiing by Activision, just as in real skiing, are learning to control the tips of your skis and anticipating and avoiding trouble. Keep your skis pointed as straight down the hill as possible. The less you traverse across the slope, the faster you'll make it to the bottom. Pit your line through the trees and gates by constantly looking ahead of your position toward the bottom of the screen. When you see the next set of trees and or gates, point your skis miss the trees or pass through the gates. Of course, the more you ski any particular hill, the more familiar with it you will become. To get the fastest times, you must memorize the run and ski the shortest possible route down the hill or through the gates. When you want to maneuver, I suggest you tap your joystick lightly to the right or left to move your skis or change direction, rather than push heavily on the stick. There are eight different positions for your skis, and 15 different directions you can go downhill, plus two possible angles for each left or right ski position. We're organizing an Activision ski team. To qualify, you must run slalom course 3 in under 28.2 seconds. If you break that time, send us a picture of the screen and we will enroll you as a member. And if you break 28 seconds, consider yourself Olympic caliber. Of course, not everyone wants to ski down a hill in record time. Some of you may just like to ski back and forth and down the hill at your own pace. Go ahead if you wish. I really had a great time working on skiing by Activision. I hope you enjoy playing it as much as I enjoyed designing it. Have fun and God bless. Bob Whitehead. I never played this game as a kid. So I never got to be in the Activision ski team. If any of you were, let me know. If you happen to have a picture of that screen with your 28.2 second time on it, uh, we'd like to see that. And let me know what you got. 
if anything, when you enrolled as a member, did you get a patch or a sticker or something? I think that's kind of cool, because I'm pretty sure if I send a letter to Atari now, even if I manage to get 28.2 seconds, they're just going to laugh at me. Skiing was made available on Microsoft's Game Room service for its Xbox 360 console, and for Windows-based PCs in June of 2010. After the break, we hit the slopes and break a leg, though hopefully not literally. Um, I kind of like how this game looks, right? It's a 1980 Activision game, it's usually pretty reliable. Um, and, you know, for the era, what you get is a pretty good rendering of a dude skiing on a slope. I'm playing game two, one of the uh, slalom games, I guess, uh, the intermediate level. Uh, you know, it pretty much looks like what's advertised. Skier on skis. Uh, you're going uh, down the snowy hill. There's flags, the gates, I guess. Uh, trees everywhere, so walking away, and they look like trees. Skier looks like a skier. Um, there are moguls, I guess. I guess in this game, the moguls don't really do anything to you. Um, I play a little bit with the downhill game. Uh, it looks pretty much just like uh, the, the uh, screen for the slalom games, except no flags, of course. Oops, crashed into a flag. Stupid flag. Oh, no way, I missed that tree. Come on. We gotta go this way. There you go, a little ski. Um, not a lot of sound. Maybe nice to have a little, uh, I don't know, Swiss yodeling or something. Um, I guess that little hissing noise is supposed to be the skis on the snow. When you're listening to this audio, I uh, know that it's not my recording, it's the game making that noise. Five more gates. Four. Three. Two. One. More to go. The final flight. Woohoo! Two minutes. Two seconds. Woo! Back to the ski lodge for some hot buttered rum. Woo! Back to you in the studio. So, skiing is not really a game I owned as a kid. Although I have a, a sort of vivid memory of playing it as a kid. I can see myself sitting in front of a TV, happily playing this really hard game. Skiing. At least what seemed really hard at the time. I don't think it's at my house. I think it's at one of my brother's places. Uh, my brothers are a fair bit older than me. And they had Atari. So I liked going to their houses because then I could play their Atari. And they had... Um, they had a few games um, that I didn't have, like skiing, and I think this sort of pseudo-memory is, you know, my parents and my brothers off doing more adulty things uh, while I'm happily sitting with the Atari trying to play this really frustrating game. Um, so that's my only real memory of skiing as a kid. I kind of like this game. Um, it's fun. 
I'm not a skier, like I said, in my real life, and certainly that doesn't really matter as far as playing the game, because it's not like the Wii, where arguably you need some sort of pseudo-ski skill, although certainly not, you don't have to be a legit skier to play the Wii skiing, but it requires a bit more of the movement, sort of uh, mimicking skiing movement than playing with your joystick and the Atari does. But, you know, but I, you know, regardless of not being a skier myself, I do like playing this game. It's kind of fun. I could see myself playing this a little more. It's a little bit challenging. It looks good. You know, Activision, like I said, is pretty reliable for good-looking games for the most part. So I, I'm happy to have this one in my collection. I think skiing is still popular, although I suppose snowboarding is the bigger sort of winter sport now. But when I think of skiing, I think of, you know, the 70s and 80s, you know, TV and movie depictions of sort of shake carpeted ski lodge and snow bunnies and, you know, hot toddies by the fire and, you know, dudes and and uh, and chicks out on the ski slopes um, and all of that. So, so sort of with that era of skiing in mind, I guess, let's get into the, this week's Atari-based Story Bite. introduction 1980 the hottest ski lodge west of the rockies which is odd because we're in switzerland anyway agent steve stetson prowls the ski lodge steely baby blues scan the room and the room scans him which is awkward for a secret agent but with that perfectly blown and feathered hair and his immaculate mock turtleneck how can they not stare any one of these 1980 olympic silver medal winning filmar wannabes could actually be a soviet spy even one of the snow bunnies could be a Soviet spy. Stetson snorts derisively at that thought, of course. Come on. In 1980, we still know women can't be spies. Stetson needs to act fast. He tosses back his Tom Collins and sets the glass on the bar. His contact, Serpico, no relation, said that the item he sought would be hidden in the lodge somewhere. But where? It's too bad Serpico had that jazzercise accident and died before he could give the exact location. A statuesque blonde in the west corner catches Stetson's eye with her halo of blue eyeliner. With the slightest nod, she beckons Stetson over. Stetson gives her a half-smile and looks away, his internal monologue screaming, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, she looked at me! Be cool, be cool! Stetson asks the bartender for two hot buttered rums. He walks over to the woman. She smiles knowingly. You have something for me? Indeed, Stetson says, then just stands there. The woman points at the drink. The drink? Oh, right. The drink, Stetson says, his ski pole drooping. The woman slams back the warm drink. Stetson marvels at how she apparently doesn't scald her throat. The woman does pull a face, 
makes a slight hiccup and spits something into the glass before handing it back to Stetson. She burps demurely. Thanks, she says. Stetson is a little nauseous, but stays cool. Um, you're welcome? Little too much ice in mine, the woman says. It was hot buttered rum, my dear. Stetson starts to set the two glasses aside, but she stops him. I said there was too much ice in my glass. All right, dear, less ice next time. Stetson starts to look around. Surely his contact must be somewhere else. No, seriously, the now annoyed woman says. Look in my glass. Stetson reluctantly peers at the massive loogie the mystery woman left in her glass and grins. He winks at the woman. The rooster crows at midnight, he says. Yeah, we don't need to do the secret code thing now. I already gave you the thing. Despite this super-secret exchange, a couple of Eastern European holdover leisure suit types in the opposite corner whisper and point in Stetson's direction. Gotta fly, Stetson says. Be unobtrusive, the woman says. Always, Stetson says, before sprinting across the room and crashing through the bay window. As he sails over the lodge balcony, retractable skis extend from his boots and he hits the snowy hillside. Our hero takes off down the slopes. Billy Joel belts out, It's still rock and roll to me, as he zips by on a snowmobile. In no time, a phalanx of Russians in matching ski suits are on him. Stetson slaloms between flags over moguls and around to St. Bernard with one of those rescue casts full of whiskey on his collar. Some of the Soviets fall back, but two hold fast. If Stetson can just hold out until the rendezvous point, democracy will be saved. Stetson swerves into the trees. One of the remaining pursuers follows. At the last moment, Stetson executes a one-ski maneuver to avoid a tree. His pursuer isn't so lucky. Back on the trail, Stetson decides it's time to deploy the patented Stetson Surprise. Grabbing hold of one of the gates, he bends the two flags so the top of each one touches the other, and then adds his own ski poles to fashion a sort of birdcage, and zips out of the way just in time as his pursuer, unable to slow down, crashes into the cage, becoming tangled in it. You did, you did, you did, tall putty tat! Stetson shouts, unaware. Part of his spy debriefing will include a request that he stop borrowing licensed character catchphrases. Moments later, Stetson emerges from a line of evergreens. He pauses to wave back at his forest friends, then tromps triumphantly through the fresh powder towards the waiting helicopter where his superiors are waiting, which is what you do at a waiting helicopter. A light snow falls gently onto the fur hat perched upon director Maddie Grimm's head, seemingly freezing the cold, dour expression onto her face. About time, Grimm says. Ah, but I'm worth waiting for. That's debatable, Grimm says. Do you have it? Stetson unzips a side pocket on his ski suit and removes a small cylinder, wipes some of his contacts, excess spittle, and something that looks a bit like a bite of cinnamon roll off of it. Stetson hands the canister to his boss. Grimm opens the canister and removes the microfilm. Holding it up to the sunlight, she squints at the images. Her frown deepens to the toes of her fashionable but practical boots. What the hell is this? She says. Yes, Stetson agrees. I thought it was remarkable. You were supposed to bring back evidence of Soviet involvement in the JFK assassination. This is footage of the Bolshoi Ballet. Beautiful, Stetson says. Just stunning. Uh, I would point out that we don't know none of those dancers were involved. You're an idiot, Grimm says. Stetson considers this. Can we have sex now?
And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, including Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, and iTunes, where you should slalom on over and leave a review. Don't let those moguls trip you up. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page, or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at Zazzle.com. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And don't forget to check out my other show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your animated Peanuts gang needs. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes. We're hitting the 7800 again with the classic Double Dragon. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.